Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. We have a solo podcast tonight because this is the release of the 2022 Draft Deeper Big Board 1.0. This is a pretty big moment for me, to be honest, because last year I had kind of moved away from a ranking system within tiers, and I went exclusively to a tiered system. And the main reason behind that was because there, there's so much discourse nowadays in the draft community that ties back to, well, what number do you have this guy? Or why do you have this guy lower on your board than this guy? Why is this guy a top five guy and this guy's top 15 guy? And there's just so much tied to the number that it takes away from the evaluation process and the overall evaluation itself. And I'm going back to a ranking system within tiers primarily because we're going to be doing some composite big board work over a no ceiling. So this is, this is my pluck at the beginning of the podcast. If you haven't subscribed to the no ceiling Substack already, please go and do so. No ceilings.substack.com. We will have a composite big board out sometime early next week. I don't know if we're doing it on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. We don't have a day set in stone yet, but definitely be on the lookout for a composite board where we will give average rankings across all eight of our big boards. So that will definitely be something to look out for. But in doing that, if we're doing a composite big board, that means I technically need to have a ranking system in place on my personal board. So that's exactly what I'm going to do this year. And again, this is 1.0. So very similar to how popular draft writers and media scouts like Chad Ford, Jonathan Wasserman, they do very early illustrations of their boards and they will specifically tell them 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. Some years you'll see some of those professionals in the industry go all the way up as 10, depending on how many revisions they want to make. I will go pretty high up in terms of the number next to my big board as well, because I want to do this as a monthly exercise. And I alluded to this on social media before I started recording the podcast. I kind of want to do a monthly check-in. So each month, one of these podcasts that I'm recording on a Wednesday, or in this case, this happens to be a Thursday, I'm recording this on Thursday, December 2nd, in case you keep track of any of the stats I use in this podcast. One of these midweek recordings each month, I will give an update to my big board, kind of focus on where I'm at and give a snapshot into this time it's going to be my top 30 guys as the year goes on, as we get more film under our belts, as I'm able to do more clear evaluations, we'll keep expanding the board down and we will eventually get to a top 60 eventually at some point. You know how I did my tier system last year. I did my three different tiers podcast, tiers one through three, tiers four and five and tiers six and seven. That went all the way up to roughly between like 90 to 100 guys. So eventually we'll make it to that mark. But again, that won't be till towards the end of the year and the scouting process. Right now we're going to start with 30 guys. And if there's any criticism out there about I'm only, I'm only giving you a top 30, like Stephen Gillespie over at Draft Capital, for example, he just published his big board today. He went all the way out to 80 guys. Kudos to him. Stephen does an incredible job. He does awesome work. Please go check out him, his podcast, his Substack incredible media scout right now 
I'm not going out to 80 guys. <laughs> I, 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 work, I work a day job. I admittedly don't have as much time as I'd like to, to give better evaluations and insights into some of these guys and actually rank them on a board. Haven't had that much time on my hands quite yet, but again, this is first week of December. So really we've had about a nice three weeks here to, to watch some college basketball and begin the 2022 NBA draft evaluation process, G League Ignite season, as well as some overtime elite action started a little before then. Some international action has happened a little bit before then, but the primary focus of this big board will be domestic prospects. And there are a lot of domestic prospects on this top 30 right now. The majority of them, as you can imagine, are going to be freshmen. So let's start at the very top. So I'm going to kind of talk about a chunk here. So we're going to go tier one prospects that I have marked tier one right now. And again, to reiterate, we are incredibly early in the process. I came into this year not knowing if I would have even one guy classified as a tier one caliber prospect. And again, tier one for me means that they are an MVP caliber prospect. So somebody who I could envision if everything hits right for them, if they hit their peak, their, their, their highest ceiling or very close to their highest ceiling, they could maybe challenge to not only lead a team on a championship or a finals type of run, but also potentially win an MVP award someday. And I actually have three guys in that top tier right now at this current moment in time will it only be two will it only be one you're gonna have to stay subscribed to this podcast and continue to join me on the join me on the journey this year to to ultimately find that out but number one i have mr paolo bencaro the forward out of duke i went back and forth before i did this podcast even going into last night when i was trying to finalize the majority of my big board I went back and forth between him and Mr. Chet Holmgren. Chet Holmgren has had an absolutely phenomenal start to the season, but we'll, we'll, we'll start with Paolo Bencaro. So Paolo is averaging 17.8 points per game, 7.3 rebounds, 1.9 assists, shooting splits, 50% from the field, 33.3% from three-point range, 83.8% from the free throw line when you take a look at some of his synergy profiles. He's in the 81st percentile in terms of total offense, the 80th percentile in terms of total defense. That's certainly been a sticking point for some of his um, harder critics. Splitting up the offense, though, 85th percentile in terms of scoring out of pick and roll sets, 79th percentile in isolation, 77th on cuts, 67th in transition, 65th in spot-ups, 61st on post-ups, 57th percentile on all jump shots, 84th percentile scoring around the basket, 67th percentile on catch and shoots, 52nd percentile all jump shots off the dribble. So there is no main offensive percentile that I look at per synergy metrics where Paolo Bencaro is any lower than the 52nd percentile. He checks so many boxes. When we're talking about guys who could be first or second options in the NBA, you can't just be a one-trick pony. You have to have a diverse shot profile. You need to be able to score effectively on the ball in multiple different play types as well as off the ball. Paolo has proven both in the numbers as well as on film. I mean, I've gone at length talking about Paolo already. Matter of fact, Tyler Rucker and I hit on Paolo 
on an earlier podcast this week, and we were talking about some of the things he was able to do in Duke against Gonzaga, but also in the Champions Classic, we rehashed Duke against Kentucky. And just the number of different ways Paolo can score, his comfort level already operating out of pick and roll as a 6'10", 250-pound forward his ability to make jump shots from all over the floor, his efficient scoring around the basket, his ability to not only handle the ball and make a play for himself, but also make plays for others. He was averaging just shy of two assists per game, but some of the passes that he's able to make, he's not hes not an elite passer by any means. Matter of fact, I'd probably consider Chet Holmgren a, a better passer than Paolo right now. And I think he has better court vision than Paolo, but as long as Paolo can make a lot of the easy reads and that he's a good passer, and more importantly, he's a willing passer, I think that sticks out to me because of how diverse he is as a scorer overall. So those types of offensive talents, those three-level scores with size and length, his power game, but also you see some of the things he can do from a finesse perspective. That's why I'm going to have Paolo at number one. But it was a battle. It's going to continue to remain a battle. I don't know who I'm going to have number one by the end of the year. But I think in all likelihood, it will be between him and Chet. Chet Holmgren right now averaging 13.8 points per game, seven rebounds, two and a half assists per game, shooting 71% from the field, 36.8% from three-point range, 71% from the free throw line, three and a half blocks per game, a 31 and a half PER, and a 76.4 true shooting percentage that's ridiculous and what's crazy is those aren't even the most ridiculous numbers i'm going to read off on this podcast we'll, we'll get to some of those a little later but taking a look at where his synergy profile is at right now 93rd percentile in terms of total offense 76 percentile in total defense 98th in transition 95th on post-ups 94th on cuts only in the eighth percentile on spot-up shooting that's a little disappointing right now, as well as some of the jump shooting metrics. 23rd percentile on all jump shots, 8th percentile in terms of catch and shoot shots. He's 6 for 6 on, on offensive rebound putback, so that's nice to see. 97th percentile as well, so he's in the 95th percentile in terms of scoring out of post-ups. 97th percentile when you factor in post-ups, including passes. That's some of that court vision that, that he's able to have on display. He's not just a face-up type big. He's been better than I've thought with his back to the basket, given how he is. He's a seven-footer, but he's only 195 pounds. That's the main criticism that everybody's talked about, his body, his strength, his physical profile. Where is he at now versus where is he going to be in the NBA? Can he definitely fill out, bulk up a little bit, get stronger? But you have to look at a little more than just the body with Chet. His, his skill profile, we talked about him at length on the podcast on Monday. He is so skilled, his timing, his effort, his awareness level on defense, his ability to block shots even when he's back down in the post. He's always looking to make a play on either end of the floor and just make the right play. You, you, you can't undersell skill like Chet Holmgren has. And I, will, I am excited to continue to evaluate him and watch him as the season goes on, but even though I have Chet number two right now on the board, I'm not trying to undersell him. He's still a tier one guy for me. I love everything that he's brought to the table. Can he edge out Paolo in these rankings? Absolutely he can. And matter of fact, even the third guy on this board could possibly edge out the both of them. Someone who's 
been gaining more traction lately as a potential number one overall pick. That's that's not even a wild notion to throw out on social media anymore. Jabari Smith Jr. out of Auburn, 16.9 points per game, seven rebounds per game, 2.3 assists per game, shooting almost 47% from the field, 44% from three, 83.9% from the free throw line, 1.7 steals per game, 0.9 blocks with a 28.4 PER and a 61.6 true shooting percentage. When you take a look at where he ranks on synergy, 86th percentile in terms of total offense, 87th percentile in total defense, 77th on spot-ups, 69th in isolation, 67th in transition, 9th on cuts. That's a little disappointing. But 97th in terms of post-ups, including passes. So again, similar to Chet, he's actually shown a comfort level, not only playing with his back to the basket from a scoring perspective, but also being able to make the correct pass and the correct read out of double teams. On the low block, 66 percentile in terms of isolations, including passes. So even as a face-up type big, he's still been able to rake, make the right play off the bounce. 68th percentile in terms of jump shooting, 47 percentile around the basket, 87th percentile on catch-and-shoot shots versus 31st percentile all jump shots off the dribble. So is he this incredible type of shot maker off the bounce quite yet? No, but then again, neither is Chet. When you watch Jabari Smith in warmups, though, this is, I haven't seen Jabari Smith personally warm up, but this is just some of what I've heard. He's very comfortable making a variety of shots in warmups. And as Tyler talked about on my podcast, when he was watching Chet in warmups out in Vegas, he was 100% comfortable doing all kinds of one, two dribble pull ups, step back type shots. Just because they aren't falling in the games right now doesn't mean that they won't eventually fall in games, either at this level or even at the next level. And that's a point that I can't hit home enough. It's more about mechanically, where is the player at? Where does the shot fall in terms of the eye test? What do the free throw shooting numbers look like? Chet, his 71.4% from the line leaves a little bit to be desired, but you see even Jabari Smith, 83.9% from the free throw line. That's an excellent number. I trust his shot mechanically. It looks good off the catch. I think that in time, he'll gain a, a better comfort level off the dribble and, and be a more versatile mid-range type of shot maker. Will he be making three-point shots off the dribble? No, but why would you necessarily require that from a 6'10 forward? His two-way presence, though, as we've talked about on this podcast, his ability to rotate out guard, at least right now, it seems like he can guard one through four. He's playing the four right now for Auburn next to Walker Kessler. Hasn't really been asked to maintain a lot of responsibility guarding centers and dealing with a true post presence for this Auburn team as much. But, man, when he switches onto guards or wings – it's it's the same way as Chet. Like the both of them, they aren't they aren't exactly the most physically imposing forwards. Not not when you compare them to somebody like Paolo, for example. But they invite the challenge of guarding someone who, if if the casual fan is looking at the matchup on film, they probably think that the shiftier guard, the quicker guard, the guard or the wing with the more versatile handle, his ability to get by somebody. You would think that that man would win the matchup, but Chet and Jabari, they they emphasize how well they can guard perimeter-type matchups, and they live for it. That's the type of defensive effort, the type of defensive versatility that wins in the NBA nowadays. Every NBA team wants to run these switchable-type schemes 
you absolutely want somebody like Jabari Smith. And that given his offensive profile, the fact that he still rebounds on both ends of the floor, some of the passing flashes that he's shown, we, we have a piece up um, on those ceilings regarding Jabari Smith and some of his offensive repertoire. I do like him a lot. I'm not ready to put him ahead of guys like Chet and Paolo, but he's right there. I do have him as a tier one type of guy right now. We'll see how much that ranking holds up. So past tier one, let's go to tier two, where I have four guys in tier two right now. So if we're counting, that's seven guys total between tier one and tier two. Usually it's a maximum of about six guys between those top two tiers. And, and we will see through the course of the year if I definitely have as many guys in this tier two, maybe some of them bump out to a tier three, although my tier three is quite long right now in terms of grades overall. I have, let's see here, I have a decent number, 25 tier three grades right now at this current moment in time, but we're so early in the process, I would absolutely envision that changing. But at the top of tier two, number four, Jay Nivey, the Purdue guard, I had Patrick Baldwin Jr. here until I saw the Purdue game the other night where Jay Nivey absolutely went bonkers. He's, aver he's averaging 15.4 points per game, 6.3 rebounds, 3.9 assists, 52% shooting from the field, 43.3% from three-point range, which is a big step up from where he was at last year, 77.3% from the line, 1.4 steals per game, a 27.5 PER, 63.2 true shooting percentage. He's in the 80th percentile in terms of total offense, only the 15th percentile in terms of total defense. I know the defense is something that we talked about actually at length and no ceilings. Both Tyler's and I did a podcast over on the no ceilings feed where we talked about, yeah, there are some things that are concerning about Ivy's defense, but just his offensive profile overall, his absurd athletic ability at the guard position, he's 6'4". But taking a look at some of the shot profiles, 95th percentile off screens, 66th percentile scoring out of pick and roll, 65th percentile in transition, 50th on spot-ups, 98th percentile in pick and rolls, including passes. That, that's the number that stood out to me the most, even more than in the 77th percentile in terms of jump shooting overall, which that number is really carried by where he ranks in catch-and-shoot shots right now, the 95th percentile. But 98th percentile in terms of pick and rolls, including passes. The majority of evaluators see Jaden Ivey as a combo guard at his size, not a true point guard, not the most traditional shooting guard nowadays. The, the majority of NBA teams want guards that are in like the 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six range to, to better complement the, the other wing player they have and to further fit their switchable defensive schemes. So Jaden Ivey is kind of like that combo guard. But the fact that he's become so much more comfortable at slicing up a defense getting two feet in the paint, not only just accelerating and bursting exclusively at the rim, but also decelerating, maybe catching himself on a stop a little bit, and then being able to make a read or two and make the right pass, depending on where the defensive coverage is. His ability to make reads within pick and roll sets has clearly stood out on film. It's the most noticeable thing that pops out to me when I'm watching Jay Nivey this year. It's not just some of the shooting. It's not just the effort level and transition. It's not just some of the defensive plays that he's able to make because of his athletic ability. It's that pick and roll playmaking that has really hit home a number four ranking for me for Jaden Ivey. If he continues to show the passing chops, keep the turnovers down, continues to hit perimeter shots, 
and gets a little bit better off the dribble where he's only in the seventh percentile in terms of jump shots off the dribble right now. I won't rule out him becoming a, a, a top three prospect in this draft. I know Simon Rath shouts, shouts out to him. He has Jaden Ivey as arguably the top overall prospect in this class. I'm, I'm not going to go that far. I don't think I'm going to have anybody else over Chet or Paolo at any point in this process. Jabari Smith would be the only contender for me. But Ivey, nevertheless, has solidified himself in my mind as a top five guard, unless for whatever reason he would absolutely tank off the face of the earth over the better part of the remainder of the season. So that's where Jay Ivey sits for me. Number five, rounding out the top five, I have Patrick Baldwin, the, the 6'9 forward out of Milwaukee. He's missed a few games here because of a left ankle sprain. Hopefully he comes back and I can get an even better evaluation on him when he goes up against Jabari Walker in Colorado. He had a shaky game against Florida. That was to be expected. You kind of thought going in that he would want to prove something to NBA scouts, given that the game against Florida was one of two big matchups that Milwaukee has all of this year. He would want to take a lot of jump shots. He would want to prove himself as a shot maker. He did play pretty selfishly for the majority of that game. And I think his teammates kind of felt that the vibe in the game was a little off. Hopefully he comes back, he's healthy and he's ready to go against Colorado. And maybe we see a different kind of player than what we saw against Florida from Patrick Baldwin, but Baldwin, a shot maker, a three level shot maker at his size, six, nine looks bigger than six, nine. When you actually watch him on film, Hopefully we do see a different kind of player because he is an excellent shot maker and versatile forwards like that who can stretch the floor, potentially guard multiple positions, can handle the ball a little bit, play make in certain situations. Those kinds of players, you, you don't let them slip out of the top five, at least very easily. So I have Patrick Baldwin at number five, challenging him heavily at number six and Man, this th this was the one guy, in my opinion, who I thought right now could cleanly knock Patrick Baldwin potentially out of top five. I know Jaden Hardy is right below this guy at number seven. I had Jaden Hardy higher on like a preseason type of ranking system that I just did for myself or kind of where I had him in my mind. But Kendall Brown sitting at number six out of Baylor has impressed Far more people than just me. 13.7 points per game, 3.7 rebounds, 2.3 assists, almost 72% shooting from the field, 66.7% from three-point range. Now he's taking under one three-point attempt per game. So let's not blow some of these percentages out of proportion. I'm sure that he'll come back down to earth as more of the season goes along. But 71% from the free throw line, 1.6 steals per game, 30.1 PER. 75.4 true shooting percentage, 98th percentile in terms of total offense, 87th percentile in total defense, 99th on cuts, 98th on spot-ups, 87th in transition, 88th on jump shots overall, 99th percentile scoring around the basket. He's not taking a ton of shots per game. He's not playing a ton of minutes per game for Baylor. They have so much depth on that team. but when Kendall Brown has had to step up and make a play for this team, whether it be finishing at the basket in transition, being a vertical space, vertical spacer in the lob game, being able to make passing 
make great passes in live dribble situations. That was something I did not know Kendall Brown had in his game. When you go back and watch some of the high school highlights and a little bit of the high school tape that I saw, I did not know how good of a passer this guy is. That was really the game changer for me, seeing some of the passing highlights that he's had already at Baylor. Those types of players, six foot eight, 205 pounds, long. I don't think there's anything wrong with the jump shot. We'll see how much it holds up as he puts more volume behind his shooting. But clean look at jump shot to me right now has made shots from all three levels, can play make for others, can defend multiple positions. That's the main thing about the top of this draft class that in my top six, I have one guard and the rest are these forwards or bigs that are six, eight or taller. This draft class has so much size at the top. It's awesome to see the versatility that we are, but yeah, that's what makes Kendall Brown so special. In my opinion, I can't wait to get a deeper eval on him. Number seven, I mentioned Jaden Hardy, 17 points per game for the G League night, 5.4 rebounds, 2.8 assists. The shooting numbers are where it definitely gets ugly. 31.5% from the field, 25.9% from three-point range. He has made all the free throws that he's taken, but a 7.4 PER, 43.5 true shooting percentage. Just given the nature of his game, you could have figured that Hardy was going to struggle a little bit out of the gate, but really it's not just that some of the jump shots aren't jump shots aren't falling. I actually expect more of those shots to fall as the ignite season goes along. He can finish around the basket when he gets there, but getting there has been the biggest problem. It's something that we talked about in our no ceilings group chat pretty early on when we watched Hardy's first few games. He does not get a step on somebody very easily. He's not the same level of explosive athlete at the guard position that a Jaden Ivey is or going back a year ago and making the type of comparisons to Jalen Green. He's not that floaty type of athlete that has that elite first step, that burst, that glide. He doesn't have that. It makes his life a lot harder. And I don't want to completely sell all of my hardy stock. That's why I'm leaving him here at number seven on the board. And he's the last guy I have in this tier two classification. But when you go back and watch some of the film, it's not, it's not just looking at the numbers. I don't base all of my rankings on numbers. I do rely heavily on what my eyes tell me, the eye test, what I'm seeing on the film. The game is not easy for, for Hardy by any means. And that will be really interesting to monitor. Do those things keep showing up? Over the course of an entire year, does he start to figure things out in terms of some of the dribble craft? Does he get better playing out of pick and roll situations when somebody sets a screen for him at the top of the court? Is he able to, to utilize something like that a little better to get downhill easier? Doesn't really have like a floater type of game right now that he's shown at least in Ignite. Some of that stuff exists on film that he was able to do in high school, but he hasn't shown a ton of that at this level for G League Ignite, mainly because he can't create the separation easily enough and he's not always open the same way in the paint as he was or he was able to get to in high school. There are concerns. I'm not going to knock him down like late lottery or out of the lottery. He's here at seven right now, but he if you were to ask me out of these guys in this top seven right here, 
who is the most likely to fall out of a tier one or tier two classification for me as the year goes on. It probably is Jane Hardy. It's sad to say I was a big fan of Hardy coming into this draft process. He's got a lot of work to do to solidify himself as one of these top guys and maybe prop himself up a little bit in the rankings on my board. So let's move to tier three. I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about the majority of these guys. If you want more evaluations, more thorough thoughts on some of these prospects, you can absolutely read my morning dunk column where I've already gone through a number of these guys and or I plan to go through a number of these guys in the coming weeks. So for more written analysis, certainly stay subscribed to the No Ceiling Substack. A few of these guys, though, I will list off some numbers especially in the case of one Keegan Murray, who I'll, I'll get to in a little bit. His statistical profile made me fall out of the chair today. It's absolutely absurd. But coming in at number eight, Jalen Duran, the Memphis center. I had the chance to see him in Brooklyn. If you missed the last podcast, go listen to that, where I talked with Tyler. I gave some of my in-person thoughts on Memphis and Monty Bates, and more importantly, Jalen Duran, because he's the, the prospect out of the two that's actually eligible for this draft class. 6'11", 250 pounds is what he's listed at. He's built like a brick house. Very powerful physical presence on the block. I want to see more from him, though. I want to see him be more assertive within the offense. I think if he can show me a few more things offensively, we already know what he can do from a versatility perspective defensively. We know he's one of the better shot-blocking talents in this draft class. I'm not concerned about him on the defensive end of the floor, but offensively, especially without a jump shot right now, is he's got to be more assertive on the block. Show me a little something that requires touch versus only being exclusively an, an easy, easy roll finisher or a lot finisher. Caleb Houston at number nine. Man, he has taken a free fall down people's boards. I, I see him consensus mainstream type boards. I see him anywhere from like 22 to 24 nowadays. And it's, it's really sad to see. I'm not going to jump to that drastic of a conclusion quite yet. Similar to Jane Hardy. I'm going to hold my Caleb Houston stock. Cause I absolutely loved what I saw from him before he got to Michigan. And even some of the things I've seen in a few games at Michigan, you see the six, eight, 205 pound wing, very comfortable shooting jump shots. Not all of them have gone in. Some of the shooting percentages are a little raw, but I think ultimately those will swing themselves back around. I do love some of the passing chops he has, his ability to make plays out of pick and roll. I think that that's a part of his game that will keep coming along as the year goes along. He's been a little slow creating separation and actually getting a step on the defense and getting to the basket. Again, he hasn't shot the ball effectively from the field quite yet. And then defensively, he's he he's engaged on the ball, but off the ball. I know that, that Corey and Albert were talking about on the Draft Act podcast that dropped the day that I'm recording this. If you haven't listened to that, definitely go check that out. But some of the stuff that Caleb Houston does off the ball defensively leaves definitely leaves some things to be desired. So he's not a perfect type of wing draft darling like I wrote about in one of my first morning dunk columns, but I think a lot of the concerns will ultimately be eased over as the year goes along. Is he having a rough transition to the college game? Yes. I expect things to get better for him, though. Number 10, Nikola Jovic. If you didn't listen to the international podcast, preview podcast that I did with Tyler, as well as Rafael Barlow, definitely go check that out for some more thoughts on Jovic. But 
my opinions on him haven't changed. He's still a standout prospect overseas, 6'10", 205 pounds. Hasn't put up great numbers yet overseas this year, but I will expect him to still be in the top 10 conversation for me when all is said and done, unless something drastically changes with a few of these other prospects, because I believe in the passing talent. I believe in the scoring talent, the ferocity that he unleashes on the court his willingness, his desire to go out and make a play. I love all those things that I see from Jovic, so I'm going to keep him in the top 10. Here we go. Number 11, Keegan Murray, has climbed all the way as high as number 8. I saw on a mock draft done by Jeremy Wu, he had Murray as a top 8 type of guy in his mock draft. 24.6 points per game, 8.9 rebounds, 61% shooting from the field, 34.5% from three-point range, almost 86% from the free throw line, averaging over a steal and over two blocks per game. A ridiculous 49.7 PER and a 69.9 true shooting percentage. If you take a look at his per 40 numbers, 37.6 points per game and 13.6 rebounds, his per 100 possessions numbers, 52 points per game and 19 rebounds. That is stupid. 98th percentile in terms of total offense, only the seventh percentile in terms of total defense. Yeah, I'm not buying a lot of the stuff I'm seeing from him defensively. Has he proven to be a playmaker against more inferior competition? Yes. But if you get him on an island against some some great offensive talent, I, I, I struggle to see the type of defensive impact he can make in that type of situation. But when you throw in how effective he is as a rebounder at his 6'8", 215-pound size, as well as his offensive profile, 99th percentile in terms of transition scoring, 95th on post-ups, 84th on offensive rebounds, putbacks, 72nd in isolation, 70th on spot-ups, 96th in terms of post-ups, including passes, 66th in terms of isolations, including passes, 51st percentile on jump shots, 90th percentile scoring around the basket, 50th percentile on catch-and-shoot shots. That is a full offensive profile from Mr. Murray. He doesn't quite have a mid-range type of game, but in terms of the modern NBA, either scoring effectively at the basket, getting out, running the floor effectively in transition, and being an open threat from the corner on the wing from three-point range, Keegan Murray can do all of that for you. He rebounds on both ends of the floor effectively. I want to see what these numbers look like against better Big Ten competition later in the year. But right now, I don't think there's any question that Murray, being only a sophomore, solidified himself in in the lottery conversation. So that's why he's going to rank at 11 for me. Number 12, Max Christie, the Michigan State wing, 6'6", 190 pounds. I do like a lot of what he brings to the table. I think that he's gotten more comfortable operating off the bounce, operating out of pick and roll. Moving without the basketball, he's gotten more comfortable doing those things after that first initial game against Kansas. He needs to definitely flash more of the shooting touch that I know that he has. He just needs to make shots at a higher clip. But I love the potential he has as a guard in that frame. I'm going to have Max Christie at number 12. Kennedy Chandler, the Tennessee point guard, I have him at 13. I've Shared some evaluations already, especially on the No Ceilings podcast I did with both Tyler's and some of the point guards, including Mr. Chandler. I love what he brings to the table as 
a floor general, as somebody who has the handle, the craft to be able to get wherever he wants to on the floor, hit shots from all three levels, his poise, his defensive footwork. I like the case that he's making as a lottery type guard in this draft. I have him at 13. 14, John Montero out of the overtime elite. I finally sat down and watched some overtime elite basketball this week because I knew that I was going to be doing this big board. He has some moments where he absolutely wows you, similar to what Alex wrote on our Substack when he did that piece on John Montero about a week and a half ago. He has some moments where he absolutely wows you, and then he does some really dumb things against high school-level competition because that's essentially what this overtime elite team is playing, playing a high school-level competition. So I definitely need to watch more to get a better feel for him. If I'm going off of the highlights, not the lowlights, I think Montero is a lottery type of talent at the guard position. There's really only four point guards that I see in the first round conversation right now. Tyrese Hunter may peak at some point this season as the fifth guy that really, really asserts himself in that conversation. For me, I still think it's a little too early. So we'll see where I have Mr. Montero after uh, another month or two of being able to study him closer and watch some more basketball. But right now I'll leave him at 14. 15, Bryce McGowan's out of Nebraska, the 6'7 wing, 18.5 points per game, 7.1 rebounds, two assists, 46% shooting from the field, 25% from three-point range, 83.9% from the free-throw line on seven free throw attempts per game. You love to see that 21.2 PER 58 and a half true shooting percentage. Just looking at his synergy profile, 77 percentile in terms of total offense, 74th in terms of total defense, like that he ranks in the top 70, top 74th percentile defensively, but offensively a hundredth percentile on cuts, 71st percentile on spot ups, 73rd in terms of isolation, only in the 35th and 25th percentiles, respectively, scoring out of pick and roll sets and in transition. But his isolation play, 78th percentile on isolations, including passes, 50th percentile on jump shots overall, 77th finishing around the basket, 69th in terms of shooting shots off of the dribble. He has a, a pro-style type of offensive repertoire at 6'7 size. And 6'7 three level scores with his kind of craft, his poise shooting from the perimeter, his isolation play, his willingness, even at his size, he's, he's six, seven, but he's only listed at 179 pounds. And honestly, that listed weight might even be a little generous for him. He does look really skinny out there, but his willingness to go inside and draw contact on a repeat basis. How many other, freshman that I've talked about in this top 15 are averaging seven free throw attempts per game. He's the one he's it. And he's at 18 and a half points per game scoring overall. I love what he brings to the table from a shot making perspective. This is one guy I wanted to buy stock in so early when I saw him for the first time. And I'm going to continue to buy Bryce McGowan stock. He's at number 15 for a reason. If, if one of these 14 guys falls out of my lottery conversation as the year goes on. Bryce McGowan's is the first guy to jump into that conversation. I love betting on his talent with certainly a top 15 pick, maybe even a lottery pick. 16, I have Trevor Keels, the Duke wing, 6'4", 221 pounds, power guard. Love what he brings to the table from a finishing perspective. 
He can make shots from the outside, although he hasn't been efficient in doing that in his last few games. He had that really, really big first game in Madison Square Garden where he turned a lot of heads, turned a lot of people, including us, at no ceilings. He gave us all the keels, turned us into believers. But to maintain lottery position, he's got to show me a little more from an efficiency standpoint. I think he can be a, a versatile defensive guard. He's built really well. He, it's like he's Lugens Dort's long-lost brother, but he's got to show me a little more to remain as high in this conversation. Otherwise, he can be one of these guys that definitely drops down a little bit. Benedict Mathurin, the Arizona wing, 6'7", 195 pounds, sophomore. I liked some of the stuff that he brought to the table last year. I thought that he needed to show me a little more this year to get higher up in the conversation than being where he would have been last year, like a late first rounder. I've loved what I've seen on film so far. Some of the things that he's done for Arizona, he's become a much more comfortable mid-range type scorer. We knew that he could finish around the basket. We knew that he could hit open three-point shots, but some of the passes he's made already in some of these games, as well as some of the mid-range shots he's made, he's showing a more complete offensive profile than what he did as a freshman last year. So props to Benedict Matherin. He's at number 17. Number 18, third point guard on this list, Ty Ty Washington. Up and down so far, but the 6'3", 197-point-pound point guard still has three-level shot-making type of ability. He still plays with a poise. I want to see more from him passing the basketball, setting other guys up. But this Kentucky team is on another level when Washington's playing at his absolute best. So, he might be another one of those guys who shows more of his talent as he gets more responsibility within the offense. If he takes over the reins of this team second half of the year and on, he could be like an SGA type of effect for him where his stock absolutely rises. And who knows, he may still prove himself to be the best point guard in his class. To me, I'm a Chandler guy right now, but in my opinion, the point guard race in terms of the top guy in this class is still wide open. I have Peyton Watson at number 19 has really fallen down boards. He was a pretty consensus top 10 guy before the year started, has fallen off dramatically. He's another guy similar to Houston. You'll find him in the 20s a lot. I have him at eight. I have him at 19. I'm not going to knock him that far, but he's definitely fallen out of top 10 consideration for me. Really, really raw, has not gotten the requisite playing time at UCLA to show us if he has a little more in his bag. Very simple skill set right now. I'm not comfortable at this current moment in time taking him with a lottery pick, although I haven't completely given up on him. If you listen to any of my preseason podcasts, you know that he was the one guy I wanted to tout. If anybody could break into that top five, I thought it could have been Peyton Watson and, and really be a dark horse to challenge for one of those top spots. So I'll still leave the potential open for him at least being a lottery pick. Number 20, I have J.D. Davison, the Alabama point guard, one of my favorite guards to watch in this draft class. He's so electric, has been a better passer than advertised so far at Alabama. He was viewed more as an electric scoring type of guard coming into college. He's actually, in my opinion, and, and I think in, in Jonathan Wasserman over at Bleacher Report's opinion as well, a better passer than a better shooter and scorer at this level so far. So if more of that evens out as he continues to get more playing time on this Alabama roster, his draft stock can absolutely rise. He's still firmly in the mix to be one of the top point guards, if not the type point guard in this draft class. Number 21, A.J. Griffin, the Duke wing. Man, he is an interesting split 
amongst consensus. Some people have not given up on Griffin. Some people still have him as like a top 10 guy. Other people have plummeted him down draft boards. I have him at 21. Listen, there, there, there has to be a reason why he does not play as much as you would expect him to on this Duke team. And it's not just because they have talent on the wings and at the guard spots. You hear some of these rumblings that he hasn't practiced well. His basketball IQ is pretty low compared to where it needs to be at during significant playing time on this Duke team. I'm actually going to buy into a little bit of the stock that those concerns are real. And it's why, yes, he has incredible raw talent at 6'6", 222 pounds is what he's listed at. He started to show some impressive shot-making ability towards the end of his high school career when he was actually healthy playing full basketball games. He's had an injury history. And if some of that IQ stuff that I just talked about, if that's real, he could even fall out of this first round type of consideration. I'll leave him at 21 for now. This is still a really rough ranking, but not, not a great start to the season for AJ Griffin. Number 22, Harrison Ingram, the Stanford wing. I watched him against Baylor. I wasn't blown away by a lot of what I saw from him. I understand that he is a shot maker at 6'8", 230 pounds. He can hit open perimeter shots. He can finish around the basket when he gets there. He can defend multiple positions. I'm not blown away, though, by how he creates shots. I don't think he's an isolation type of shot maker on the wing. At least I haven't seen that kind of versatility from him quite yet. I don't think he gets an easy step on people. He doesn't, doesn't have the handle or the wiggle to really get around guys. And, and get in the easier spots in the mid-range or get all the way to the rim. It's kind of when he does get to the rim, it's because he had a, a wide open lane to get there. I want to see more from Harrison Ingram before I rocket him, rocketed him up my board. So we'll see as I, I get some more film on him. I, I, I like him, but I don't love him yet. Wendell Moore, number 23, the Duke wing junior, starting to put some things together. Um, for, for Duke this year, his passing has become a lot more consistent. He's been much better operating out of pick and roll. Would we like to see the jump shot convert more frequently from three point range? Absolutely. But the fact that we always knew he could finish around the basket, he's a, a, a vertical talent in his own right. He gets up off the ground. He can hit mid range shots. If he's being an effective passer, if he's defending three positions, he kind of has to be in the first round conversation at this point, given that there really aren't that many upperclassmen I'm including in this top 30 quite yet, if at all. So I'll leave Wendell Moore right here at number three. Another upperclassman, Ochai Baji, the Kansas wing, number 24, the senior, 6'5", 210 pounds. I'm actually going to be seeing him live in person against St. John's tomorrow night. I can't wait to evaluate him up close and see how much has changed. But when you look at some of the numbers, he was one guy that I wanted to pull some stats for. 22.5 points per game, 3.5 rebounds, 1.7 assists, 55% shooting from the field, 41.7% from three-point range, 76% from the free throw line. He's averaging a steal per game, 29.1 PER, 64.9 true shooting percentage. And taking a look at some of the synergy numbers, 94th percentile in total offense, 84th percentile in terms of total defense, 97th percentile playing out of pick and roll. That's big for me. 96th percentile on cuts, 95th in transition, 88th on handoffs. Only in the 34th percentile in terms of spot-up shooting, only the 19th percentile on catch-and-shoot shots, 
but 60th percentile in terms of jump shooting off the dribble, 96th percentile finishing around the basket, and including passes out of playing out of pick and roll sets in the 88th percentile. So he's doing some things, expanding his pick and roll game, expanding his game in general off the dribble, much more comfortable attacking the basket, attacking closeouts, using his ability to, to, to make guys miss a little bit, operating from the perimeter going in. That was some of the stuff you didn't always see from Ibaji. He still does like to settle for some mid-range shots that he probably shouldn't be taking, considering there's little to no statistical evidence that he can actually make those shots on a consistent basis. But when you just look at experienced wing players who can come into the NBA, they can potentially defend multiple positions, they can hit open three-point shots, they can attack a closeout, finish around the basket, that's the type of profile that NBA teams want from a wing nowadays. And an experienced one at that who's coming from one of the best coaches in college basketball and Bill Self at Kansas, I think that he kind of has to be in the first-round conversation, at least right now. And quite frankly, if he's in it right now, I don't see him falling out of it because I think the numbers are only going to continue to get better. And he's probably the favorite right now for, for National Player of the Year in college basketball. So I'll have him at number 24. Uh, n- number 24, number 25, Usman Dieng, the 6'9 wing who will be playing for the New Zealand Breakers. I talked about him on our international preview podcast as well. I want to see him, more of him on film. Interesting passer, interesting shooter off the catch, off the move. I just, I, I definitely need to study some more tape from him before I move him up my board. Th- this ranking at 25 is because I admittedly haven't seen enough of him to properly rank him ahead of some of these other guys. 26, the last guy that I really wanted to pull some stats for, I was excited to, and I I mentioned some of them on a previous podcast this week that I did with Tyler. Julian Strother, the Gonzaga wing. I don't think that he's gotten enough love yet at this point in the draft process. 14 points per game, seven rebounds, 51% shooting from the field. 42.5% 42.5% from three-point range, 77% from the free-throw line, 23.3 PER, 64.8 true shooting percentage. At where he ranks by synergy percentiles, 94th percentile in terms of total offense, 91st on offensive rebounds and putbacks, 84th on spot-ups, 68th scoring in transition, 61st on cuts, 92nd percentile on jump shots overall, 85th on catch-and-shoot jumpers in the 67th percentile finishing around the basket. That's that's a pretty good offensive profile for somebody who I didn't hear talked about at all before this particular draft cycle started. He's a sophomore for Gonzaga, so he's still young, still has room and upside to grow. What I really like about him is when you actually see him operate in a game, some of the setup on his jump shots, his effort level, his toughness on the glass – they're, they're characteristics of a pro-type wing. He, when he sets himself up for some of these shots, he just looks like a pro out there. It's really hard to explain unless you're actually sitting down and watching the film with me so I can point out specific examples. Harder to do it in a podcast type of context. But if you've seen Strother play this year and you like him, you kind of know what I mean when I say that. He just looks like a pro basketball player to me. So if he did come out this year and declare for the draft, I would have him in the first round. I got him at 26 right now. Marjan Beauchamp, the G League Ignite wing, I have him at 27, although he's one guy who could absolutely climb a little bit higher as the year goes on. I need to do another G League Ignite and, quite frankly, an overtime elite deep dive 
in one of these upcoming morning dunk columns. But 6'7 wing, explosive off the bounce, arguably the best transition scorer in this entire draft class, in my opinion, from what I've already seen early returns on some of the film. I love what he brings to the table. Defensively, he leaves a lot to be desired, in my opinion, from a full-time engaged the entire length of the game standpoint, but he can definitely make plays when he is engaged on the ball. He has quick hands. He can poke it away. And anytime he's forcing a turnover, getting a steal, able to get out in transition with the basketball in his hands or somebody else makes the player, gets the ball, and he can fill the lane in transition, one of the most dynamic transition type of wings we have in this draft class. That's always a huge selling point for NBA teams, especially now more so nowadays when it seems like every time I flip on an NBA game, teams are not only trying to force turnovers to get out in the break, but they're even getting the ball in. They're inbounding it faster than, than I've seen, at least in, in recent memory. They are really trying to up the tempo in these NBA games, and Beauchamp can definitely fit into that type of culture. 28, I have Mark Williams. The Duke center sophomore has done a lot of great things on film defensively this year against some good teams. Um, as I talked about with Tyler on our Monday podcast, I need to see more from him offensively. I want to see a little bit more diverse of an offensive game before I would move him up any further than like 28th on my board. So like back end of the first round, but him being in a tier three classification speaks to his defensive impact and the fact that I can absolutely see him not just being the fifth best guy in a starting lineup someday for an NBA team, but one of the more important guys because of the value he can bring on that end. Another one of these versatile guys, I don't know how much I want him on an island defending point guards, but he can switch on the perimeter in a pinch. He's obviously a really good rim protector. He battles inside down low. He, he's vertical. He can get up off the ground, block shots. Love a lot of what he brings to the table. Just want to see a little more offensively. Musa Diabate. The Michigan forward, 6'11", 210 pounds, freshman. Caleb Houston obviously has the most eyes on him in Michigan, but anybody who's been able to get up close and personal with Michigan basketball, I know Matt Babcock is a big fan of Diabate right now. Really, really intriguing talent. Not only is he starting to score around the rim more frequently, he even hit a three-point shot in their game against North Carolina the other night. I am really intrigued to see how much more offensive skill Diabate can flash. He's now a starter in the lineup. He is one guy with his athletic talent, his size, his toughness. If he starts showing more consistent offensive skill, I think he can really rise up this board and make a name for himself. I'm not going to rule him out of potential lottery conversation at some point in this draft process. And then last I'll have Matthew Cleveland here, the Florida State wing, probably the guy, rightfully so, he's number 30, the guy I'm least excited about in this top 30 initial big board. Um, he hasn't shown much of anything offensively. He's been pretty raw defensively, but 6'7", 200 pounds with length. He's at least looked comfortable stepping into mid-range type of shots and, and taking three-point shots. If some of those perimeter looks start to fall with more consistency, I think that he can hold on to this ranking, maybe climb a little bit higher up, but he may also just be a really raw wing talent who needs to stay an extra year in college and further develop at Florida State. Maybe he declares, maybe he doesn't. I'll leave him at 30 right now. Have to see more positive things from him on the game tape to keep him in my first round or maybe move him up a little more. So that's my initial top 30. That's my 2022 Draft Deeper Big Board 1.0. I will try and put 
a, a screenshot of the board out on social media tomorrow as well, along with the release of the podcast. So definitely make sure you're following me on Twitter at Draft Deeper to get a snapshot of that board. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Subscribe to the No Ceilings Substack, noceilings.substack.com, and go to our No Ceilings Podcast Network link tree, l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash No Ceilings MBA to find all of our awesome shows. Tyler announced today that he's going to be bringing back the Backcourt Violation podcast for some good NBA talk. We got the Draft Act. We got my show. We have NBA Deep Dives with Metcalf and Nick Johnson. So much great content coming from us. We've already gotten a ton of support over at the Substack. I've been getting more and more support over here on the podcast front, on the social media front. I want to keep the momentum rolling, keep pumping out awesome content for you guys. And that's another reason why I wanted to do this big board exercise right now. It's really, really, really early for me to put together any true semblance of a board. But join me on this journey as we revisit this board every month, see where these prospects ultimately fall, where they land. And hopefully it offers some some insight for you guys as well. If you heard a name tonight where you hadn't maybe done enough homework on them yet up to this point, but some of the numbers I might've listed off about some of these guys, maybe they intrigue you to look a little more into their games. It can be an interesting and insightful exercise for all of us as we reflect and then further push forward through this 2022 NBA draft process. So thank you all again for listening, continue to show your support, and I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.